See the movie critics are saying will leave a mark in residue, a harrowing tale of trauma, violence, and vengeance, and intense, disturbing, and affecting, you'll be thinking about it for days to come. The film's called An Angry Boy, and I wrote and directed it for all the real fans of true crime out there who want to see something really, really scary. It's available to stream right now, at this very moment, on Amazon, iTunes, and Apple TV, Google Play, and Microsoft Xbox. So when you get home tonight, and you're trying to figure out what to watch, we'll shut off the lights and pop that popcorn, and go watch the award-winning dark thriller in Angry Boy. Also, leave a review when you're done, please. Here's a quick clip. I have tried to make this house a home, time and time again. Now you kids just don't get it. You ever heard of a Spanish donkey, Owen? I've been working on this thing for Mike. It's a little project that may or may not work. We'll see. But what it will do. Well. It's this big log. It's cut into a triangular shape with one of the points facing straight up to the sky. And then a person, in this case, you, is placed right on top of it, legs straddled. You know, like you're riding a donkey. Your arms tied above the head so you can't support your weight. Oh, it hurts on its own, just like that. But here's the messed up part. I put buckets on your feet. And then one by one, I add bricks. And what happens is, see, you ever so slowly start to split open. That bone between your legs eventually cracks. And you get pulled down until you get ripped in half. Ultimately, it's fucked up, I know. But if you guys had played ball, I could be much nicer. We all love eating tasty food, and what's even better than that is when it's completely free. That's exactly what HelloFresh is giving away to you guys today. Free appetizers for the rest of your life. If you don't know, HelloFresh is America's number one meal kit, I've been a long-time subscriber because not only do they make meal planning as simple as possible and essentially remove any trips I need to take to the grocery store, but they have the biggest menu out there with over 50 recipes to choose from every single week. I mean, it's summertime. We all want to spend more time relaxing in the sun and less time in the kitchen using HelloFresh, and they let you get back to enjoying pool and beach time with just a few clicks on your computer. Just choose your meals, select a delivery date, And HelloFresh delivers everything right to your door. And like I said, when you sign up today, you'll unlock free appetizers for life. Go to HelloFresh.com slash AndrewApps for free appetizers for life. One appetizer item per box while subscription is active. 
That's free appetizers for life at HelloFresh.com slash Andrew Apps. Every town has a dark side. Today, we head to Hana, Hawaii, where we check out the four-decades-year-old mystery, which is now known as the Sarah Joe Tragedy. One of the world's wonders is the vast body of salt water that covers more than 70% of the Earth, the ocean. It continually takes our breath away with its calming blue water and amazes us because of its huge impact on our food supply, temperatures, and weather. But did you know that only 5% of the ocean has been explored and charted? The rest has never been mapped, explored, or seen by humans. And so, the mysteries of the oceans remain a guarded secret. But, even on the ocean's surface, there have been strange occurrences that we've witnessed, like the maritime tragedies that have claimed so many lives. Of course, the sinking of the Titanic in 1912 is perhaps the most well-known, but there are many others, which may be on a smaller scale, yet have become a big mystery. Such is the case in our story today. Back in 1979, the Sarah Joe tragedy happened in Hana, Hawaii. And to this day, the whole story surrounding it remains a mystery. Hi, I'm Andrew Fitzgerald and welcome to Everytown. In the archives of more modern disasters that happen in the heart of the ocean, The disappearance of a Boston whaler called Sarah Joe 40 years ago left tremendous devastation in the small town of Hana, located on the eastern end of the island of Maui in Hawaii. It claimed the lives of five robust and hard-working young men whose remains, except for one, have never been recovered. After almost a decade, the boat and the skeletons of one of its passengers were found on a remote island. But instead of uncovering the truth about the Sarah Joe tragedy, it left more questions unanswered. In today's podcast, let's remember what happened to a group of friends who went out fishing on a fine morning, but ended up caught up by a storm and sailed off to become one of the most mysterious cases in maritime history. February 11, 1979 seemed like a perfect Sunday in Hannah. The clear skies seemed to reflect on the blue-hued, flat-as-a-pond surface of Hannah Bay. The weather was fine as the sun was shining bright with a gentle, southerly breeze, so who couldn't resist the perfect time to go fishing offshore? After all, the fish always hit best when the water is calm and the sun smiles brightly. A group of five experienced and avid fishermen decided to take a breather and ventured into the open sea. They were on a scheduled day off from their regular jobs that day, but the friends had planned on working together on constructing a house. 
Even on a Sunday, people in Hannah were kept busy doing extra jobs, like carpentry projects, car repairs, and other stuff. This not only preserved the traditional homesteading lifestyle in the town, but it also provided extra income for all of them. But when 27-year-old native Hawaiian Ralph Malakini, who was into the trucking business, saw how calm Hannah Bay was, he so badly wanted to go out there fishing. He then contacted his four friends to join him. One of them was 26-year-old carpenter Patrick Wozner, who lived in Ahiku, a small community in eastern Maui. Having compared to a street fighter, Patrick had a muscular build, dirty blonde hair, rugged face, and mean, narrow eyes. But he made sincere efforts to get along with the conservative locals and learn the Pidgin dialect. He worked closely with them on construction jobs in the community and helped form a softball team to compete in the Hannah League. Another friend of Ralph invited to go fishing was 27-year-old Scott Mormon. Athletic, tall, muscular, with beach boy good looks, Scott had a young son from his ex-wife back in California. After his divorce, Scott spent some time traveling and dreamt of living in Hawaii someday. So, when he vacationed in Hannah, he made up his mind to make it his home. According to Scott's parents, they were impressed at how much more loving and easy their son had become since relocating to Hannah. The two other members of the group were Peter Henchant and Benjamin Kalam. Peter was 31 years old, the only licensed plumber in town, and the son of a Hannah ranch manager. Like most of the male population in Hannah, Peter was an eager fisherman and wild pig hunter. A 38-year-old native Hawaiian and the oldest in the group, Benjamin was a mason and tile setter who had five children who ranged between the ages of 6 and 16. Between all these five men, they had over 50 years of seagoing experience, so they enthusiastically welcomed the chance to flex their fishing skills on that beautiful Sunday. The men met at a small country store called Hasegawa General Store, named after its jovial owner, Harry Hasegawa. They bought gasoline, beer, bait, ice, and snacks, and even invited Harry to go fishing with them. However, Harry wasn't a good swimmer and had a phobia of drowning, so he declined the group's invitation. And as it turned out, Harry would be the last person to have interacted with the five men. The Sarah Joe was a 17-foot boat manufactured by Boston Whaler. It was owned by Ralph's twin brother, Robert, who was happy to lend it to Ralph. The vessel was named after their mother, Sarah, and their father, Joe. This boat was equipped with an 85-horsepower outboard or main engine, which only needed a new spark plug, as well as a 7.5-horsepower backup engine, also referred to as a kicker. 
The boat manufacturers advertised it as unsinkable, a claim which was believed by some experienced sailors, but the U.S. Coast Guard, however, was skeptical. But for the group of friends who just wanted a leisurely day together, the Sarah Joe is their perfect companion exploring the ocean. Their main goal is catching Ulua, the holy grail of fishing by Hannah Anglers, also known as Giant Kingfish or Giant Jack Crevelli. Ulua can grow up to 300 pounds and could be sold to stores in town, be brought home to family for dinner, or enjoy with friends over ice-cold bottles of beer. Loaded with the men's fishing gear, food and drinks, and a huge ice-filled cooler for the day's catch, the Sarah Joe was ready to set sail. Ralph, as the skipper, pointed the Sarah Joe toward the mouth of Hannah Bay. He turned right after passing a rocky islet, then headed south toward a spot where he had the luck of an abundant catch in the past. The area was within the Ilanuhaha Channel, situated between Maui and the Big Island. At 17,000 feet deep, it was considered the roughest waters in Hawaii and was swept by strong surface currents moving to the southwest. The weather in the Elenuhaha Channel was unpredictable that even on a warm and calm day, just like on February 11, 1979, storms could form at frightening speeds. Big vessels may have had the steadfastness to overcome this, but for small boats, it's a matter of outrunning an unexpected storm in order to return safely to shore. Did the five men aboard the Sarah Joe even think about this before sailing off at 10 o'clock that morning? Apparently, their excitement made them oblivious to these facts. While three other Hannah boats that also ventured into the channel that day made it back to the port unscathed, Sarah Joe was ill-fated, which distressed the town of Hannah. It only took two hours for what was supposedly a relaxing and delightful fishing venture to turn into a catastrophe. Unknown to Ralph and company, a low-pressure system was sneaking into the region. At around noon, just a couple hours after the Sarah Joe had left Hannah, the wind shifted to the north and gained speed rapidly. Thus, by the early afternoon, a maelstrom had engulfed the Alanuhaha Channel. One of the skippers of the boat, which successfully returned to the shore, said it was like a rushing river out there. Windstorms and massive strength caused big waves to form, some as high as 14 feet. And the sky seemed to break wide open and released a torrent of heavy rains onto the channel. It was the worst storm in Hannah in five decades, according to the town's senior inhabitants. A month prior to this, Hannah battled another storm which sank an 80-foot steel hull research ship called Holo Holo, killing two crewmen. 
But this one, on that fateful Sunday in February of 79, was a storm that became very violent and caused much flooding and damage to Hannah. The thick, pouring rain, howling ferocious wind, and the raging waves were just too monstrous for the Sarajota hurdle. By the late afternoon, concerned family members of the Sarah Joe passengers, including Peter's father, John Hanchett Sr., and Ralph's brother Robert, who owned the boat, reported the missing vessel to the Coast Guard. John Robert and some local men did a quick search of the missing boat along the area to the south, but the fierce waves and poor visibility prevented them from going any further. Even expert marine biologist John Naughton joined Mr. Hanchett Sr. in the search, but the wrath of nature rendered their efforts fruitless. Mr. Hanchett Sr. detailed, The weather in the channel was the worst I'd ever seen it. The swells were so large, if we had been 50 yards from them, we wouldn't have seen them. When it got dark, we couldn't see 10 feet. Residents nearby, likewise, hadn't seen any trace of the Sarah Joe or the five friends. An initial search by the U.S. Coast Guard that afternoon had a helicopter dispatched and a C-130 fixed-winged aircraft diverted from another mission. But their efforts were futile due to the poor visibility because of the still raging storm and the impending nightfall. The following day, the Coast Guard commenced its earnest five-day search operation for the Sarah Joe, which became one of the largest sea searches in the history of Hawaii. Almost 50 planes and helicopters were deployed to scour 73,000 square miles of ocean for a total of nearly 330 hours of fly time. Boats were also used in the search efforts, of course, However, certain factors served as impediments in the sea and air searches. According to Captain Jim Cushman of the U.S. Coast Guard, they really didn't know where to look. He said, The initial place where we started searching was very ill-defined because we weren't really sure exactly where the Sarah Joe had gone fishing. So it encompassed a relatively large area, initially that first day, then the area got bigger and bigger. Another thing was the strong and perilous currents in the Alanuhaha Channel area, which made it impenetrable by boat. Thus, on each day that the currents drifted the Sarah Joe further away, the chances of finding the boat also got slimmer. Moreover, the high winds hadn't subsided and the visibility remained minimal, which affected aerial search operations. Several homing pigeons, specifically trained in spotting international orange or red, were also used by the Naval Ocean System Center in San Diego. Alas, that strategy failed because the bad weather forced the planes carrying the pigeons to land and the birds themselves got lost. Thank you.
Unexpectedly, after five grueling days, the Coast Guard suspended the official search for the Sarah Joe. Without any valuable clues found, it was assumed that the Boston whaler must have sunk into the unknowable depths of the ocean. Naturally, this didn't sit well with the family and friends of the five missing men. Some sympathetic Hannah residents questioned why the Coast Guard search peaked during two days of poor visibility and then gradually reduced after weather conditions cleared. Although John Hatchett Sr. admitted the Sarah Joe was most likely ill-equipped to face head-on such a massive storm, he believed that his son Peter and his friends were strong, healthy, experienced fishermen and good swimmers capable of helping one another. He and the other men's families would only believe that the five friends didn't survive the storm had debris of the vessel been found. John Hatchett Sr. said, But nothing was found, nothing, and so we felt there was still a chance that they were afloat and alive. Such was the undying hope and fighting spirit of a father who believed in the impossible. The family members' refusal to give up jump-started an extended private search for a week. A few friends lent their own boats, while family members, other friends, and even strangers bankrolled the hiring of commercial boats and planes by donating a total of $50,000. They relentlessly searched the beaches, the remote waters of the south shore of Maui, and the Hamakua coast of the Big Island. But after a tiring week, there wasn't a single clue of Sarah Joe's wreckage found, except for a life jacket that didn't belong to the men. It was frustrating and heart-wrenching for the families and friends of the five men who disappeared mysteriously, as if they had been swallowed by a black hole. It took a year for Hope to die in Hannah, and a memorial service was then held for Ralph, Patrick, Peter, Benjamin, and Scott. Finally, in the absence of their remains, the five men were laid to rest. And so were the hopes of their loved ones to find the truth to their mysterious vanishing. As we all know, we don't have control over fate. But when destiny takes its own course, it can spring a surprise at a time when everyone least expects it. As mentioned earlier, one of the good fellows who helped John Hatchett Sr. search for the Sarah Joe the day after it went missing was marine biologist Johan Naughton of the National Marine Fisheries Service. On September 10, 1988, he led a wildlife expedition which was commissioned by the East-West Center and the government of the Marshall Islands to seek a site for a wildlife sanctuary. Part of the Republic of the Marshall Islands is the Teongi Atoll, a small group of tiny islands encircling a 30-square-mile lagoon, which is 2,200 miles away from Hanna. The atoll was uninhabited because it was a poor fishing ground for the Marshallese, 
It was semi-arid due to limited rainfall and had no fresh surface water. In order to reach the lagoon safely, a boat could only enter one narrow break. Sibylla Island was one of the narrow strips of land at the edge of the lagoon. It was occasionally occupied by a handful of migratory birds, and none of the few species of plants that grow there were palatable for human consumption since the climate is dry for the most part of the year. This makes Sibylla Island one of the loneliest places in the vast Pacific, and on that hot September day, Naughton and four other scientists went ashore on Sibylla looking for green sea turtles and nesting birds. But what they discovered was truly more surprising. They stumbled across a partially buried fiberglass hull of a battered boat that resembled a Boston whaler. Upon a closer look, Naughton noticed the letters HA imprinted on the wood which meant it was registered in Hawaii. It was, however, the visible prints of the letters S, A, H, and J that made Naughton decide to stay longer and search the island thoroughly for more clues. Nine years and a few failed search operations later, the answer to Sarah Joe's disappearance was in Naughton's hands. They were astounded to find a crude wooden cross marking a shallow coral-covered grave about a hundred yards from the boat wreckage. So the more important question was, were there any signs of the Sarah Joe's passengers? Atop the grave protruded a human jawbone, but Naughton and his team weren't certain yet if it was connected to the Sarah Joe tragedy. They reported their discoveries to the Coast Guard, which subsequently went to the site and positively identified the boat as the Sarah Joe. When they dug the grave, they found a pile of human skeletons down below. The forensic examination of those remains determined that they were Scott Mormons based on his dental records back in California. However, the exact cause of his death couldn't be ascertained. As for his four pals, a search of the islands in the area didn't yield any clues. Strangely, investigators instead found papers deliberately buried in the grave. They were in an unbound stack, three quarters of an inch by three quarters of an inch, alternated by slips of tinfoil material placed between the pages. As to why they were buried together with Scott's skeletons was unknown. The families of the five men hired private investigator, Steve Goodenow, who made sense of the discoveries using weather data, information from officials of three governments, and his personal search of Sibylla Island. His team found a few remaining pieces of skeleton from Scott and the boat's engine wedged underwater in a nearby coral reef. He theorized that before the Sarah Joe swung southwest, it was carried by the storm northwest, very close to the Kauai Island in Taonggi Atoll. At that point, some of the men tried to swim ashore but drowned in the rough seas. 
Scott, though, stayed on the boat and survived starvation and dehydration until the Sarah Joe drifted to the atoll after two months of sailing. This explains why Scott's body was the only one left aboard when the boat crashed over the reef of the Sibylla Island. A few years later, a crewman of a Taiwanese fishing boat found Scott's remains. He buried them there in a Chinese burial rite in which papers, as well as gold and silver foil, are provided to the dead as currency and a source of fortune in the next life. Since the Taiwanese man was fishing illegally in the Marshallese territory, though, he didn't report it to the authorities. For pragmatic individuals, the tragedy of the Sarah Joe could have been certainly prevented had any of the five friends checked the weather forecast in the island on that day. But can we blame them? The divine beauty of the ocean and its promise of serenity is a welcome temptation no one can say no to. Often we just forget that beyond its surface lies a mysterious force that has given rise to unforgivable maritime tragedies. The town of Hannah has made sure it does not forget the Sarah Joe, or Ralph, Peter, Patrick, Benjamin, and Scott. On Hannah Bay, a memorial plaque in their honor is in place. Engraved is a simple yet touching line. Hannah remembers her sons, which eases the pain from knowing that the remains of the four other men may never be found at all. So that's it for this week's episode of Every Town. Tune in next week for another episode filled with scary, strange, and mysterious stories. Because who knows? Maybe your town's going to be next. Have you made the switch to NYX? Millions of women have made the switch to the revolutionary period underwear from NYX. That's K-N-I-X. Period panties from NYX are like no other, making them the number one leak-proof underwear brand in North America. They're comfy, stylish, and absorbent, perfect for period protection from your lightest to your heaviest days. They look, feel, and machine wash just like regular underwear, but feature incognito protection that has you covered. You can shop sizes from extra small to 4XL. Choose from all kinds of colors, prints, and different styles, from bikinis to boy shorts, thongs to high-rise. You've got to try NYX. See why millions are ditching disposable, wasteful period products and have switched to NYX. Go to knix.com and get 15% off with promo code TRY15. That's nix.com promo code TRY15 for 15% off life-changing period underwear. That's knix.com.